Welcome to the OA workshop on humor. I am Mike, a compulsive reader, and your moderator for this recession. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Okay, and... Um, just before I turn it over, I just have one thing to say. You know, I've, I've been in this program 13 years, and everybody told me, um, uh, you know, you need to find, uh, you know, the perfect sponsor. And so I spent, you know, like a year looking for the perfect sponsor who I never found. So I got the next best thing. I got a sponsor who thought he was perfect. <laughs> and that's my contribution to all humor. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, our first speaker is Molly. Hi, my name is Molly. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad to see all of you out there. And I, people say that I'm funny. And so when Sherry called me and said, um, which first she asked me to speak at another workshop that I didn't really think I could. And then she said, but, you know, I'm really trying to fill the hard ones, like humor. And I said, well, I'm pretty funny. I could do humor. And I have to say now I'm totally petrified and I'm probably not going to be funny. And, and I'm thinking, in fact, we're all thinking, why, did, why are we up here? Why are we doing this? So if we're not funny, I'm sorry. I'm just going to apologize right now. Okay, but I am going to start off with a joke that I actually think is pretty funny. <laughs> In fact, it makes me laugh just thinking of it. And I just hope no one's offended, but if you are offended, you can always leave and go talk to somebody about it. Um, okay, and this really just, I mean, I'm going to, this is a joke that some guy in AA told me, and it's really about a drinker. But I can relate to it with myself with eating. But I'm not going to change it to, to be about food because I heard the joke as a drinking joke. So there was an active alcoholic walking on a beach, and he finds a magic lamp, and he takes this magic lamp and he rubs it, and the genie pops out, and the genie says, well, um, master, uh, I can give you three wishes, any wish you want. And the active alcoholic says, you know what I'd really like? I'd really like a bottle of alcohol that just never runs out. No matter how much I drink of it, it just never runs out. I, and it changes so that I can always have whatever alcohol I want. It just comes right out of the bottle. And the genie says, oh, that's easy. And he said, here's your bottle, your magic bottle that will never run dry. And he said, but, Master, you have two other wishes. And the alcoholic says, I, I'd like two other bottles just like the first one. <laughs> Anyway, that's really how I feel with eating. I mean, for me, with eating, with my disease, there was nothing better than food. There was nothing better than food from the time I was four years old. And I, I feel sad, actually not so funny saying that, because that's a big, heavy burden to carry from the time you're four years old. From the time I was four years old, my whole life revolved around how I was going to get it, how I was going to use it with nobody seeing me, and when I was when I was going to get more of it. And as a kid, you know, I didn't have control over food. I mean, I couldn't really say, hey, Mom, you know, give me the car at four years old. I'm going to go to the store. 
and then I can buy whatever I want. I mean, my food was heavily controlled, so I had to do it a very sneaky way. I mean, I just, and I ate a lot of things I didn't want to eat, but just because I wanted to eat something. But, you know, there was really no good, you know, there was food, food was always good, really, no matter what it was. But that's, I really felt like that joke. I really felt like just the severity of that monkey on my back. So just to qualify a little bit, um, I ate from the time I was four until the time I was 31 uh, with very, very few breaks. I would say, except for the three times I tried OA in my 20s, I didn't have a break. And when I was 31, I just realized I couldn't continue my life and still eat the way I was eating. And I came back to OA, and I was able to get abstinent, and I've been in OA ever since. And that was 10 years ago that I walked back in. And I've been continuously abstinent for six of those years, and I've released and maintained a 90-pound weight loss, so the program really works. And I think that the real um, purpose of this workshop is to really just talk about how we can use humor just to, in the really tough times, you know, when we're just so myopically self-pitying. I mean, believe me, I can really go there. In fact, I went there a little bit this weekend, and it's really hard to feel that way at an OA convention. You know, it's just, you know, you know, you want to feel really positive, and gosh, you know, when you're feeling that way, well, just thank goodness all of you are here. So, um, really early on in OA, um, I knew that I had to work the steps. And I didn't really like you guys no, not really. And I didn't really like getting close to anybody. And I picked a sponsor just based on the fact that I didn't really know her and that I knew that it, would, it was just going to be a business relationship. She was going to teach me the steps. I was going to do the steps. We didn't have to be best friends, you know. And, and actually, I mean, we actually grew pretty close during the process, which wasn't, wasn't certainly what I was intending, but, you know, that's what happened in spite of yourself. And... Uh, and it, and it was a really great experience, you know. I went to a meeting on Saturday, and I met with her afterward, and we worked together for three years that way. And, um, you know, when you're working through the steps, there's actually a lot of humor to it. Like, even if, you know, I was reading my first step, and my first step was really sad. I mean, all those eating experiences were from four on. But then there were really funny things, too, that happened with food. I mean, really funny things. And, and one of the things that... Um, got brought up for me was that my grandmother was a compulsive eater, and I was a compulsive eater, and we loved to eat together. And my mom was just, frankly, a nuisance. She was just a nuisance in the whole process of that. But she would drive me to my grandmother's every Saturday and drop me off, and then she'd go out and do stuff and come back and pick me up. And, all, you know, so many times she would get really mad at my grandmother, and so when we went the next time, she would say, now, don't feed her. And, and my mom would turn around and walk out the door, and my grandmother's like, oh, let's just go have a little something, you know. And to me, that's kind of funny. You know, that's something that I had with my grandmother, you know, our love for butter and mayonnaise, frankly. But, you know, it was a bond. It held us together. I mean, there were some, there were some good experiences in the eating, too. I mean, it wasn't all bad, and, you know, it wasn't just all terrible and I mean, we have to think about those times, uh, too, that, that were positive or, or where, you know, we got close to somebody, you know, in some way that we wouldn't have otherwise. But, but really for me, uh, working with a sponsor uh, every, 
every Saturday, you know, she she had a really great way of just bringing me out of that self-pity. Um, you know, in Tradition 5, it says our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and help someone else. And I really didn't like that to be my primary purpose. I really wanted my primary purpose to, and of course the compulsive eater in me was, my, I want my primary purpose to be to solve wor- world hunger, or do something really important like that. Mostly to ensure that I would still have a food supply, should the world run out of food, frankly. But, you know, I wanted something more lofty than that. And she would just remind me, you know, in a really positive, gentle way that, hey, you know, I've got a primary purpose to keep this person sober and then to help other people. And that's really enough. But we used to laugh about that all the time. And another thing that we would really laugh about was, you know, working through the steps, what we would do is we'd read the book, you know, so if we were working on step one, we would read step one in the OA 12 and 12, and she would actually have me underline things that stood out to me, and so when I got together with her, we wouldn't read through the whole thing, we'd just read through what I underlined, and we got to this one point, and I was still feeling so self-pitying, and um, I said, you know, I really, I think it was, I was maybe on step 10, and I really thought, you know, gosh, I've done all this work, and I've worked through the first nine steps, and all that was really, really hard. And, uh, I mean, I thought the whole purpose of this program would be that I wouldn't have any problems anymore, and I just seemed to still have some problems. And she'd say, really? She goes, you know, I really love you to read the big book, and when you come across the line that says we don't have problems anymore, she goes, I'd really like you to underline that, and then we can talk about it. And, you know, I never did find a line in that book. I just, I just never did. Um, so I think, I think for me, um, I don't know, I can't get that self-pitying because it's just such a dark place to go. And if I do find myself that self-pitying or that depressed or the world's terrible, usually um, – what I do is, and I learned this trick from another person. I, I called this person up. It was 8 in the morning, and I knew the guy was retired, so he wasn't going to, be going to work. You know, I didn't really care if he was still sleeping, <laughs> you know. But I thought, well, I hope Harry gets up that early. And, and I remember calling him, and, you know, I said, gosh, you know, I just can't get out of this self-pitying state that I'm in. And he said, you know, what I really think you should do is turn on the TV and just watch the TV and and if you get, like, a self-pitying thought, just click the ro- remote control and turn it on another station, you know, and just keep doing that. And, um, and it was interesting for me to do that because he said, and don't, don't flick it to the news because that will make it worse. But, you know, it was really good for me to use, like, outside tools like that just to get out of those, that, those thoughts. That was a very good tool for me that I used for a long time. And then what I would also do was use comedies. I mean, I just went out to a video store, and I used to really love to go to comedies, like comedy movies, and I just wound up buying, like, some of my five favorite movies. And any time I felt that just terrible, self-pitying depression, I would just pop in a movie. And it would really just do the trick. It would just really bring me out of it. So I think that, you know, humor outside can bring us out of that stuff. And if we have tools like that, you know, it makes it a lot better because I can't think about it on my own. I can't bring myself out of that on my own. But really, you know, after I watch one of those movies, I kind of start laughing and then I get some endorphins from the laughter 
And then I kind of forget what was made, made, making me just so depressed. And and it just helps a lot. And then, you know, by then it's usually dinner time and, you know, that's okay. That's always good. And then I'm pretty good, you know, until, you know, a couple hours later and, well, whatever, I can have another movie. But um, I like doing that. And another thing I really like doing is there's some really funny stories in the big book, you know. And one of the first stories I read was Dr. Alcoholic Addict. And there's just no funnier story than that. I mean, the guy is just a crack up. And his story is really pretty intense, you know. It's it's pretty low bottom, you know, just like me. But um, but he says it in such a humorous way that I can also look back at myself and my disease, and then I can read what he's writing, and I kind of laugh about it. I kind of think, like, all the ridiculous things I've done with food, you know, and they, they kind of, you know, and it makes me lighter, I guess. And then... Um, then I think I think one thing that I'm really using these days is that I, you know, through the program, well, let me just tell you a little bit more of my story. So I came into OA at 31, and I didn't really want to be here, and I didn't really want to talk to anybody, but I made a commitment to stay for the fourth meeting because I had tried three other times over eight years, and I was only able to stay for three weeks each time. So I was so afraid I was going to leave the program after three weeks, I told somebody this at the second meeting. I said, you know, I said, I've never been able to make it for more than three weeks. And she said, well, why don't you just come for the fourth week? And, you know, I couldn't think of that on my own. Like, it sounds so simple. It's like, why don't I just come for the fourth week? Like, why couldn't I think of that? But the truth is I couldn't. I really couldn't. And so I showed up for the fourth week, and I showed up for the fifth week, and I showed up for the sixth week, and I just showed up down the line. And then I think it was six months after I started, I actually opened my mouth and said, hi, I'm Molly, I'm a newcomer. And everybody thought that was a little weird because I'd been coming for six months to the same meeting. But, you know, I really couldn't say it. And I also couldn't say that I was a compulsive eater because I really thought, you know, that's none of your business what I am. You know, okay, so I'm here. Doesn't You don't know what, what I'm about. You know, until I heard somebody talk about eating uh, Chips Ahoy cookies, and she had broken apart all the chips and only ate the chocolate out of them. And I just had this crazy feeling that I was one of you because I would buy granola with the nuts in it, and I would get home and I'd spread all the granola out on the table and I'd just eat the nuts out of it, and then I would put all the granola back into the jar like nothing had happened. And, you know, that's how I lived my life, you know. I wasn't buying, you know, Rainforest Crunch granola. I was just buying granola. I don't know where the nuts went, but, you know. And what happened, I was living with somebody at that time, and we were going somewhere, and we went by the health food store where he knew I got the cereal, and he said, oh, I want to go buy some of that cereal, and I totally forgot that I take out all the nuts before I put it back in the jar, and he went and he got like a big bag of the stuff, and he got home, and he's eating this, he goes, wow, they changed the mix. This is <laughs> he goes, this mix has nuts in it. And it was really kind of humiliating, but also kind of funny, and I just sort of copped it to him, and he's like, oh, good grief, you know. And, uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, sometimes our eating is very funny, you know, just like that. Um, but anyway, what, what, what's going on now is that I've been in OA for 10 years, and when, and it took me nine of those years to actually be able to go on a date. And... Um, it took a lot for me to be able to actually have a relationship with somebody that's real. And um, 
And so, anyway, so I, I live with this person now. We're going to get married on December 2nd, and it's all very exciting. And yeah, and I really kind of, you know, despaired of, you know, well, first of all, I always despaired that I would never get married, but then I was always thought that the women who got married were a tad ridiculous when it came to the weddings and the rings and all of that. And, you know, I never really, you know, wanted a ring. And But anyway, I have a ring. There it is. And... uh and it's like, yeah, it's, yeah, I know, it's, been, it's kind of heavy for me to wear it at times. But I'm very excited. I mean, it's, it's a great thing. But, you know, like living with somebody, you actually need to have humor. Because, you know, imagine me, the compulsive eater, you know, becomes myopically, you know, inside myself. The other person can do that, too. And if you're both, like, myopically going inside, you can become like little turtles that are not talking to each other anymore. So one of the things that I do with my fiancé, and this is kind of funny, too. Um, so when I was dating him, okay, we were both kind of on our best behavior, of course, because we're dating, right? But um, he, he, he thinks that the first time we have dinner together, somehow we should say grace because he knows that I work a program and, you know, a lot of people in the program, you know, say, say a kind of prayer or maybe say this for a new prayer or maybe say grace or whatever for, before dinner. So he decides that we should do this. And, um, but I think he's doing it just because he's the one that's always been doing it. And I think, oh, well, I'll go along with it, you know. And pretty soon, you know, we're saying grace for the next eight months. And then one day he looks at me and he's, he's like, you know, he goes, I never really said grace before I started going out with you. And I was like, really? Because I never said it before I started going out with you. <laughs> but this grace has become our tradition of ours. And, um. You know, and we'll sit down and we'll say, you know, one of the prayers is surrender to prayer. Or, you know, sometimes we say this grace, it just goes like this. It goes, and it's something that I learned as a kid um, from my Unitarian babysitter. But anyway, it goes, um, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Yay, God. Yay, God. So, you know, when all else fails, we'll do something like that. And it always cracks us up. Um, but, you know, when we're mad at each other, we also say grace. And sometimes, you know, our grace is like, and thank you for the food, and we're going to enjoy the food, and thank you for the dogs, because we're enjoying the dogs, and thank you for each other, because we really enjoy, you know, it's kind of this angry way. But that, that can only go on for like a little while, because it just cracks us up, and we're just like, we are both just totally ridiculous right now. And hell, it's dinner time, so what could be better than that, you know? Let's just stop being mad. And so, you know, maybe for other couples who aren't compulsive eaters, their rule might be that they can never go to bed mad, you know, our rule is we really can't eat a meal bad. <laughs> like we, and that's good because we eat three times a day and we got to resolve that crap three times a day. So, it, you know, it's good for us that way. Um, but, I, you know, I think that, I think that what was really, I think binging in a way was very, very easy for me. I think that life was actually easy and that's why I could do it for so long. And then the pain of it became too great, and I had to try another way. And that was actually very, very hard. And, um, you know, I really thought that once I became a normal weight, you know, just the red carpet would roll out, and I would never have a problem again, and I'd never get my heart broken, and I'd never have a bad day at my work, and I would, you know, the whole thing would just be copacetic all the time. And, you know, life isn't that way. You know, life is life. And we have hard things, and we have not such hard things. And sometimes we're cranky even when we have no reason. 
You know, and that's like the killer for me. It's like, God, you know, I am just self-pitying all by myself. Like nothing else has to be going on. I can just feel that way. And so I think just to just to really remember um, that life is life, and life has funny parts, and life has not funny parts. But you know, if we don't dwell on anything for all that long, it always gets better. You know, it always gets better. So um, yeah, I just I'm just really grateful for this program. I just really am. I just I feel like it's just this fantastic gift that I get to live without using. You know, and I get to have the relationships I have without using. And I get to get close to people without using. And I don't know, I just get to have an authentic life, and it doesn't have to be about using. Um, yeah. I, you know, I wish I could close on a joke, but I can't. I just, I just really have to say that um, I'm just grateful that all of you are here and Really, you know, if you, if, you know, get some tools, get some of those comedy movies and read the funny stories in the big book and, you know, just laugh with your sponsor about all the silly things you're whining about and, you know, just try to keep it as light as possible because, you know, we can't be so, it's a serious disease we have, but we can't be serious all the time. So thanks. Uh, my my um, grandfather lives in San Francisco, and uh, he was coming home the, with, from the farmer's market, and he had a watermelon in each hand, like this. And then he ran into one of his friends, and one of his friends asked him, you know, um, do you know how to get to Market Street? And he said, just a minute. And, he, you know, he put one, put one of the watermelons down, and, and then he put the other watermelon down, and then he said, I don't know. <laughs> And with that, I'll introduce Evelyn. My name is Evelyn. I'm a compulsive overeater. I thought we weren't going to tell any jokes. You know, I don't have a joke. I'm going, how can I follow this? Um, I got a sense of humor in this program. I, I, uh, I've been in this program for, uh, I just celebrated my 19th birthday uh, in the springtime. And uh, thank you. And I've been... Uh, maintaining a weight loss of, of uh, 105, 115 pounds for 17 of those years. And you have to get a sense of humor with food, you know. And I just, th this, is, this is the first time I, I really knew that I was a compulsive overeater, okay. I've been in program five or six years. I'm from the San Fernando Valley area, okay. 1994, my life is going south really quick because I had a relationship, you know. I prayed to God to have a better set of problems, and I got them. And, uh, uh, and, and, uh, I had had, uh, I had wanted to discuss, I was living with my boyfriend at the time, and I wanted to discuss this issue that we had, and someone pointed out to me that it's really not a good idea unless you're co completely calm to discuss these issues, but it's not a good idea during the holidays because, you know, we're tired, we're overworked, or whatever, you know, you, you should pick a better date, and so I, I picked, um, the second Monday in January, and uh, and I and, and I was ready for it, and I wrote about it, and I'm I'm, I'm deep breathing, you know, and I'm discussing with other people and role playing and everything, right? So, and and I knew that tomorrow morning at nine o'clock or sometime we both had the day off. I was going to bring up this subject, and, and we and I was going to just tell him, right? Okay. 
at six, at before 6 o'clock in the morning, of those of you who don't live in Southern California, we had this enormous earthquake, okay? And the building that I lived in fell down. All right. Now, I'm fighting my way to get out of the building, and, and my, my boyfriend, who's now my husband, he says, okay, I'm going to get this, you get this, you know, and, and let's get out of here, you know. And, of course, we, we both sleep naked, so we've got to put clothes on. You've got to find your clothes. You know, I mean, it, it, was, it was, and it's pitch dark, right? And so we get outside, and, I, and I'm walking down the hall, you know, and uh, the lady upstairs had broken both of her arms, and, of course, I'm the only one that knows first aid. And so I'm, I'm dealing with her, and I'm walking down, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, what are you going to do? And I'm going, boy, I, I, this, is, this looks really bad, and if it shakes one more time, maybe somebody's going to die. This is going to be really bad. And, and so I had, like, three thoughts. And my first thought was, you really ought to have a cookie. <laughs> and I went, okay, that's not a good thought. My second thought was, this is a terrific opportunity not to gain 100 pounds. And I went. Wow, this is cool. And I'm carrying this woman out. You know, I'm going, okay, I'm, I'm going to see if the big book really works. I'm going to practice these principles in all my affairs. I'm going to stay as close to the program as I can. And maybe I won't gain any weight over the situation because this is going to be really bad. And it, it's really shaken and, and there was a lot of damage. And my, my third thought, I can't remember what it was. But anyway, I get outside. Oh, my third thought was, this may not be a good time to bring this subject up with Rudy. <laughs> anyway, okay. All right, and, and I'm thinking, oh, shoot, I've been practicing this for six weeks. Okay, I should put this off for maybe another six weeks because this is, it, things are going to be really a mess for the next six weeks, right? So I'm going, okay, all right, I'm, I'm okay. So I get outside, and we get out into the, to the, to the parking lot, you know, and we've got all of these things, and, and it's pitch black because all the city lights were gone, too. I mean, it is so dark. I haven't seen that since I was a kid going camping. And who wants to do that again? So, so then we're standing there out in the middle of the open area, and this other big earthquake comes, and it starts to shake, and more of the building falls down, and then you could hear the building hitting the cars, and the cars are going off, and you could hear, you know, the the, the walls crashing, and so my husband says to me, my my boyfriend at the time, he turns to me, and says, "Give me the car keys." I'll move the car, the cars. I said, I don't have the car keys. And he said, didn't you bring your purse? And I go, no. And I've got this thing that I'm, I'm clutching and saving. And he says, well, what the hell is that in your arms if it's not your purse? And it was a box of cookies. <laughs> and he said, you left your purse and you saved a box because I had, a, like, all this Christmas stuff ready to take into work, you know. And I had just grabbed something, and I, you know, and it was a box of cookies. We were so glad we had those cookies when those children start to cry. You know, going, here, have a cookie. <laughs> I probably created a whole line of compulsive overeaters over that whole incident. But that, you know, I look back on that now, and I just, we're standing there, and my husband is looking, and he didn't know whether to be mad at me or not. You know, and I'm going, and he goes, count on you to, to save a box of cookies. I go, yeah. You know, and that's who I am. When push comes to shove, I want a cookie. When push comes to shove, I'm going to save your cookies. And if you're not going to eat them, then I'm going to eat them because there's more for me. You know, it's just, that's the way I am, even after all these, this time. Uh, and I have to look at that. And, and it, actually, it makes me laugh. We, uh, I've been with my husband for 15 years. And, and uh, earlier this week, we, 
We often split meals because we're older and I'm, you know, and, and I don't get enough exercise and so we split meals. Or when we go to a new restaurant, we order my idea. If I ask him what he wants, he'll say, oh, I'm going to have this. And I'll say, well, I'll have this and then we'll share. We'll split it. Each, you know, try two different new things. I've been saying this for 15 years. The other day my husband turned to me, you know, and he said, I said, what are you going to eat? We were in this nice restaurant and he goes, I'm going to have this. And, and he says, but I'm thinking about this. And I said, well, I was thinking about this, but I was looking at what you're going to have. I said, why don't you order this and I'll order that and we'll share. And he looked at me and he says, what does that mean to you? <laughs> and, and I said, I said, share. I'll eat half of it. And I couldn't say, I'll let you have half of mine. I couldn't get the words out of my mouth. <laughs> and, I mean, and I'm never speechless. And my, my husband looks at me and he says, that's exactly my point. He says, he says, this is you. He says, when we go to eat, he says, this is you. <laughs> and he says, I've noticed over the years that you're allowed to eat off of my plate and I'm not even allowed to look at your food. And I'm looking at him. I mean, and this man loves me. And I'm looking, like, this is the most intense betrayal. Because I'm looking at him thinking, you don't know me at all. And I, and I had, and, and, I'm, and I said that. I said, you don't know me at all. And he goes, think about it. He said, how much of your plate do you think I'm going to see? Unless we take it home and you make it for me tomorrow because you're busy and you have to go somewhere. And he said, he said, I know that if, when we order this food, he said, I'm going to give you half of my food and put it on your plate, and or you're going to eat half of it off of my plate, and if I even put a, a fork in your direction, you're going to stab me with yours. And I look at him, and you know what? That's the truth. That is the truth. My husband is the kind of person, he goes, he eats those stick pretzels. Why would anybody eat those? You know, I mean, they taste like Cheerio cardboard boxes, you know. So luckily I don't like them. But he eats three while he watches TV. <laughs> And he sits there with the clicker, and, and I'm one of these that I have, I have four TVs in my house, all in, my husband, it, it, we, we watch four channels at the same time, and, and, and it's noisy. And, uh, <laughs> and he'll, he'll, he'll take a bite of the pretzel, then he'll put it down on, on the, you know. Finally, after 20 minutes, I'll say, eat the goddamn pretzel. <laughs> and he'll say, I'm, I'm not hungry. And I'm looking at him, and I go, just eat it or throw it away. And he'll go, you don't even like these. And I go, that is food abuse. You're abusing that food if you don't eat it. You know, I mean, this is me, okay? I'm a compulsive overeater. I happen to like food. I still do. After all this time, I still comfort myself with my food, except I find more appropriate foods to comfort myself with. And I, have, and I comfort myself only three times a day. And it is what it is. And if you don't laugh about it, you know, it, you, you're not, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. How do I pick myself up? I learned this from a man who, who was very important to me in my recovery. And he was a man who was not that successful. He was never successful in this program. He was in this program for many, many years. He was, weighed hundreds and hundreds of pounds. And he walked with two kings, and sometimes, you know, his knees gave out and everything. And he, he was my mentor in this program for many, many years. And I used to call him up on the phone. And I, and I would start. 
you know, particularly in the early years. Because when you stop eating, you feel everything. Everything bothers you. It makes you crazy. My hair hurt. The ends of my hair hurt, you know. And I would call him up, and, and particularly after I had lost my weight, and, and, and then I didn't know what to do because there were no rules for maintenance, you know. They had torn up the dignity of choice, you know. You figure it out, honey. Oh, okay. And um, so I would, I would start, you know, and, and uh, he would say to me, Ev, the only person in my life that calls me that. And he would say, uh, gee, you know, we've been discussing this for three days. And I go, yeah, I just, I just, you know. And he says, we've talked about it for four times a day for three days. <laughs> and I go, I, I don't remember calling you that often, you know. And he'd say, <laughs> yeah. And I would go, okay. And he'd say, okay. He says, are you going to make a decision or are you going to keep whining? And I did. this is when I started to know I had a choice. And I would usually say, I'm going to keep whining. Because we had discussed what the solutions were, you know. And, and I had choices. I could do this or do that. And none of them were attractive, you know. And I would say, I will, I'm going to keep whining. And he'd say, he would say to me, how long are you going to keep whining about this? And I would say, Tuesday. And he would say, what time on Tuesday? And I would say, 3 o'clock. And he would go, okay, deal. So then I would start to whine and I would start to laugh. You know, because, because you know what? It, it is the way it is. You know, at one point, if you're not going to make a decision to solve that particular problem, then like he taught me, you have to stop whining about it because obviously you're perfectly happy being miserable. And the, the proviso with that with him was, if you're happy being miserable, then you shouldn't be complaining about it. And I, and I have to tell you, that works for me. Because sometimes my girlfriend says to me, you know, how long are you going to keep, you know, I, I need to find another job. Are you looking for a job? No. Do you want to look at, you want, want, here's a, no. Did you do your resume? No. Well, if you're not going to look for another job, you know, look for, you know, you really need a better set of problems. You need another job. And if I'm not going to do it, then I have to stop whining about it. And I'm so good about that. Sometimes I have another girlfriend who, when she's on the, what she calls, I'm on the pity pot, so she sets an alarm clock for 45 minutes. And then she can sit there and feel sorry as she wants, and then she has to get up and make a phone call or do something and get herself out of herself. And I'm so grateful for this program. I'm so grateful for each one of you. And, and I've grown a lot in this program, and I look forward to growing more. But most of it is, is you've got to laugh about it. You've got to laugh about it because, it, yeah, it is a serious program, but we can't take ourselves all that seriously. Thank you so very much. And, and our third speaker is Eva. And would somebody pass up the uh, ask a basket back up here? Okay. Thank you. Hi, my name is Eva. I'm a compulsive reader. Yeah, I really wanted to go last on this panel because I was hoping to listen to the other speakers and maybe get some ideas and, you know, and have some thoughts triggered, but I really didn't mean for them to use the ideas that I already had. <laughs> and so I am up shit's creek without a paddle. Um, humor. I really do believe that uh, we need a new, another line in the promises that says, and we will develop a sense of humor about ourselves and life in general. 
because I can guarantee you that is something that I absolutely lacked when I got into this program. I spent my college years as an existentialist, which meant I went around going, why am I here? What is the meaning of life? I wish I had a God that cared, you know. And uh, I, uh, I felt so totally alone in the world. I did all kinds of really kind of different things to just feel like I belonged on the planet. Uh, I, went to, I went to Fresno State in the 60s, and I joined the Students for a Democratic Society. Now, this is Fresno State. Uh, it was a really small group, and I didn't even, I couldn't sit there because, you know, first of all, I was obese and I was wearing bonded knit polyesters, and there are women in this room who are old enough to remember bonded knit polyesters. And I bet you remember trying to iron them and the foam separating from the outer layer of your fabric. Oh, yes. Okay. So I, I, you know, I really, really wanted to belong, and, and, uh, I, I, just felt totally separate from people. So the, I could be funny, but it was it was sarcasm and it was barbed, and I really meant it. I wasn't teasing you. I meant every word, and I believed that you meant every word when you said it to me. And to this day, as my husband can attest, I tease well, but I still don't take it all that well. Now. I want to talk about uh, humor in my relationship with my husband because I can guarantee my husband John is sitting in the front row. Somebody yesterday said that your husband is so brave to be here. And I said, my husband's been to conventions all over the country. He went to his first OA meeting three weeks after our first date. And by the way, we did not behave. Uh, no, we were, I was too old to be behaving. And, and, uh, you know. So, <clears throat> We uh, celebrated, <laughs> you know what I was going to say, I was going to say we celebrated 27 years of abstinence in June, and that's not true. <laughs> Wrong, yeah, uh, as a matter of fact, I need to qualify, I've been in Sting for 31 years, and uh, I maintain a, thank you, um, I maintain a 100 pound weight loss, and the truth is, is that I maintain between 100 and seven and 110 pound weight loss, but I usually don't say that. Don't ask why. Put it in the ask your basket. Okay, now, uh, humor and my husband. Uh, when we, after, I, I can't remember, I don't remember if, if it was when we were shacking up or when we got married, but early in our relationship, uh, there was something that I needed to talk to my husband about, and and I didn't know how to approach it, so I called a lady, and this lady was not my sponsor, uh, and I can probably count on one hand the number of times I've called somebody besides my sponsor in this program in 31 years. But I called this lady, and I said, you know, I need to have this conversation with John about whatever, and she said, you know, if you can treat it with a sense of humor, do it. Treat it lightly. And I said, Okay, and that has been the hallmark of, of um, our relationship for the past 27 years. And, you know, if, if you just think about the gifts my husband has given me since we started dating, you would understand why I have to have a sense of humor. The first gift he gave me was a trip to a psychiatrist. <laughs> Two months of dating, and he ships me off to this 
world-famous Beverly Hills psychiatrist to see if the guy could help me with my flu problem. No, but I did explain to the psychiatrist the nature of the flu problem and why he was not successful with his obese patients. So something good did come out of the um, discussion. Uh, my husband followed that gift up with a crock pot. <laughs> and this continued for 26 years, culminating uh, last Christmas when he gave me a digital scale. And he is still alive for me to tell the tale. Uh, he, and, um, you know, oh, but you know what? It doesn't weigh to the ounce. It only weighs to the half pound. Now, what, now who, would give, who would give somebody in Overeaters Anonymous a scale that only weighs to the half pound? That, that person you know is normal with food. And I will never, and I've got a perfect example of what it's like to live with somebody who's normal with food. We were at, I was leading a retreat, John came with me. And when we got there, we found out that the retreat center had changed hands. They didn't know that we were Overeaters Anonymous. They had not a clue as to what Overeaters Anonymous meant. And so they were going to feed us like they were going to feed the Presbyterians who were there. And they don't understand that Presbyterians and compulsive readers, you know, who are in abstinence, don't eat the same. And so they had all this stuff for the Presbyterians, and I mean that sincerely. They were going to give us the same food. And that included pancakes for breakfast. And some of us eat pancakes, others freak out at the thought. And what my husband says was, well, can't they just think of it as round bread? <laughs> Okay. Uh, when we got married, I was 33 and my husband was 59. And so I am now 60, he is 85. And um, in the 80s, I took him on a trip to Hawaii. And we were driving around uh, from the Kona side of the Big Island to the Hilo side of the Big Island. And this is spectacular drive, and we're going along, and we found this little waterfall. And we're on a two-lane road, no, no shoulder, no nothing. And John says, stop, I want to take a picture. And it's just, this was a pilting little waterfall compared to what we were going to be seeing, you know, and he had no clues to what we were going to be seeing. But, and I said, no, I won't. I can't pull off. It's a two-lane road. There are no there's no shoulder, I'm not, and I'm not stopping you know, in, in, on the road, and then he does this, he goes, oh, I will never have that opportunity again. <laughs> and I waited a moment, and then I said, John, if it weren't for me, you would be back in San Pedro pulling weeds married to someone your own age. <laughs> Okay, I do have other things to talk about besides my husband, but he's such an easy target. Um,
And you know, I couldn't do this if I didn't love him dearly. You know, and if he, if I, if I thought for a second that he knew that, um, if he, did, if he, he knows that, you know, he is the most important human being in my life, without exception. And I know that I am the most important person in his life, without exception. So I've, I've really, in fact, uh, my teasing him has just been such a constant thread. A couple weeks ago, out of the blue, John says to me, uh, you're not teasing me very much. He wants more of it. <laughs> I go, okay, I aim to please, you know, and, and, I, and uh, so there. So what I want to get uh, go on to now is uh, one thing I do, uh, you know, I don't... I don't pray and meditate, and this is no secret. I've pitched about it before. But what I do is I read the cartoons in the newspaper every morning. And uh, sometimes they are just so wonderful. And this, and I cut them out, and I have this huge file of OA-related uh, comic strips. This started a few years ago when a friend of mine was uh, dying of ovarian cancer, and uh, I started mailing her a cartoon strip every day, just sticking one in the envelope and mailing it off. And I mailed one off and mailed one off, and I don't know, we did it for months, I guess. And John started doing it with me. And then after she died, I, just, I started limiting the, uh, the comic strips to things that triggered memories or stuff that had to do with program. And... The one that reminds me so much of my existential past was, I think it was in the neighborhood, you know, and uh, Veronica, Veronica thinks about why she thinks about herself. I love that one, you know. If I have, and you know, I once told my sponsor, she God, I'm so bored, and she said, that's because you're thinking about yourself and you are a very boring topic. <laughs> okay. Um. And then I've got this Heathcliff cartoon where he's uh, sitting in the back seat, staring out the um, the back the window, the back window, and he's got this panicked look on his face. And his owner says, "It's refrigeration separation anxiety." <laughs> I carried my salad dressing with me everywhere I went cross-country and everywhere for 24 years. Now, I, I had salad dressing separation anxiety after I quit, but one day I woke up and I thought, I'm not doing this again. And now I actively abstain from bringing my salad dressing to restaurants, and I haven't, I don't believe I've done that now in seven years. But it took me 24 years to do that, okay? Um, another one of my favorite cartoons is this woman, and, and she has obviously died. She's in heaven. She's getting fitted with her wings and her gown, and she's looking down, and she says, You mean I'm not thin yet? <laughs> that was on my refrigerator for a long time. Uh, the one, the one uh, cartoon that really wasn't, really isn't funny, uh, it was a shoe, and he had a grocery list. And it said, you know, Oreos, Twinkies. Do you know they fry Twinkies now? Uh, Oreos, Twinkies, uh, ice cream, whatever. And the, the woman's looking at that and she says, that's not a grocery list, that's a suicide note. 
And uh, I spent um, a great deal of my time before program thinking about dying. And uh, that cartoon strip, yes. My, the fact that I ate out of the liquor store, without being an alcoholic, never bought alcohol in the liquor store, but that's where I did my, my daily grocery shopping, uh, you know, it was, it was an act of suicide, and I do believe that compulsive overeating is an active act of suicide. Okay. How much time do I have left? Five minutes? Seven minutes? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I have got two, oh, put it down. I have, I have got two stories. I've got two food stories. Now, you know, food stories are not funny while you're eating. But I'll tell you, when you're, there's no much more fun than sitting around with a bunch of uh, absent composable readers talking about food. I mean, it's hysterical. Okay, I have to get to the, the one quickly. Uh, this was a request. Uh, she, taught, she said, you know, you need to tell this story. The people in Northern California haven't heard it. And I go, okay. In 2005, I was on the Region 2 Convention Committee, and a group of us used to go to lunch uh, after every uh, meeting, after every business meeting. And there were about six of us that were the hardcore group, and every once in a while, other people will come. Well, on this particular Sunday, uh, the six of us were going to our favorite Greek restaurant, and that winter there were pouring rains in Southern California. There was flooding going on. It was huge. So the the six of us bopped down in pouring rain uh, to go to this restaurant. And we go in and they have an indoor area, but they also have this uh, covered, sheltered patio. And we were placed in the patio. But, you know, there's a roof over it and there are walls up and so forth. But it's, uh, and so we're sitting there, and the wind starts blowing through on one wall, just howling through. And uh, one of the members is, oh, I need to, okay. I can't break, I can't use their names. So, well, anyhow, this, this one person was freezing, okay, just freezing. And so, instead of getting up and asking for inside or going to another place, we just got up and moved the furniture. And sat back down. And it, uh, the lady came and she took our order, and all of a sudden I realized that I'm getting rain on my head. And what you need to understand is of these six people, we were running up to close to 100 years of, of abstinence, con- you know, and about 500 pounds of weight loss. That, you need to know that. Okay, so it's starting to rain on my head. And so instead of, we get up and move the furniture. And then we put it back down, and it starts to come more. And the waitress comes, and she puts a bucket next to my chair. And we're going, and pretty soon, you know, it's obvious, you know, that the world is going to come in on us. So we get up, and we move the furniture. And then this lady at the end says, maybe we should just go somewhere else. And then the lady across from me yells, not until I get my food. (laughs) 
And after that was over with, I, the lady, I was telling the lady, you know, uh, good Lord, and she said, you know, Edith, you were, you were thinking it. You didn't say it, but you were thinking it. Hell, yes, I was thinking it, and so was everybody else there. You know, we were not, we were there, our mind was set on what we had ordered, and, you know, the weather was not going to keep it. You know, my pita might have gotten soggy in the rain, but it was going down my throat anyhow, you know, so we had that story. The other story, to, okay, very quickly, to, to show you that I've really earned my feet in Overeaters Anonymous. I eat hot cereal every morning. I vary it every morning, but I eat hot. I eat. Do you want to tell my story? Evan? Thank you. Okay, so I went down to the health food store to buy this cereal, and I bought four boxes. You know, I bought a you know supply, and because it can be hard to find, and I was concerned. You know, so I bought four boxes. So I uh, that morning, uh, the next morning, I get up and I get out the box and I open it up, and it, the cereal is in a uh, uh, wax paper bag, and I look in. And there's this very large worm crawling on the cereal. And so I thought, oh, okay. So I put it aside and I got another box. And I opened it up and there was another worm. And I ended up opening all four boxes and all of them had these worms. Now, I'm standing in the kitchen by myself. John is in the dining area, you know, and he's not paying any attention to what I'm doing and I'm thinking, all of these boxes have worms, but they were on the outside of the bag. They weren't on the inside of the bag. If I don't tell John, he'll never know. And I heard myself thinking this, and I thought, holy crap. This is what 24 years of abstinence get you. You're arguing with worms about your cereal. <laughs> but I, I mean, they will find the cereal again, you know. It may be gone forever. And so I bolted out of the kitchen, went in to see John, and I said, John, all of these boxes have worms in them, and I'm going to return them. And he says, okay, well, what else am I going to do with them, you know? Well, you know, you wouldn't know. But anyhow, I put them all in the box. I had the receipt. I went down to the whole food store. I handed the guy the box, uh, the bag with the four boxes, and I said, all four of these boxes had worms in them. And he opened one, and he goes, oh, my God, and closed it. And I thought, now, he's normal. <laughs> So there. Well, I got my two food stories in, didn't I? Okay, and now, you know, I'm out of time. Thank you. Okay, the, um, we each have one question for the Ask a Desk. We'll start with Molly. Right. Somebody actually asked me, what are those uh, five favorite comedy movies I mentioned? Like, they wanted the titles. 
and I kind of panicked because I realized they're actually not even comedies. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> when you're depressed, like anything will do the trick. There's humor and everything, but I will start off with the comedies. My favorite funny movie of all time is this very, and let me just also say that one person's humor can be one person's stupidity, you know, so take it with all of a grain of salt. But one of the movies I really love is a movie called Strictly Ballroom. And it's, it's Australian. It came out about, I don't know, maybe 14 years ago. And it's about this guy who spent his whole life training to be a ballroom dancing star, and he finds out that he doesn't, he wants to do his own steps, and he rebels. And it's very, very funny. It's also a love story, and, you know, the whole thing worked for me. The second one I really loved, and I don't even know why, because both my girlfriends really hated it when we saw it in the theater, but I loved it. It was called Runaway Bride. And, you know, I'm sort of an ambivalent person, and so I kind of related to that. But I just loved it. She's sort of, you know, she's a total Al-Anon, actually. She's, her father's an alcoholic. She, you know, doesn't sound so funny right now as I'm telling it, but, you know, she's kind of a chame chameleon. And, and every time she dates with somebody, she becomes that person. And, and, but then she winds up running away when it comes time to just walk down the aisle. But it's, it's very humorous. And she, you know, it's a heartwarming story, too, because she works through a lot of those issues. And she doesn't say she went to a program, but she must have. But anyway, um, I guess the ones that really weren't comedies, but I watched it over and over again, was that movie Speed. You know, the bus, you know, Keanu Reeves. I mean... Sandra Bullock. I don't even know why, but I, I loved it. I think I thought it was so stupid. It was funny to me, actually. But, you know, I just never got tired of that bus in L.A. just jumping over that, um, you know, running off the freeway and flying through the air and coming down the other side. Um, and then also, you know, good triumphs over evil, blah, blah, blah. You know, the other one I really liked that's really not a comedy either Um same thing, my girlfriends hated it. I loved it. So for those of you out there with movie recommendations, that should be, you know, like a little warning to you about how I think about movies. You know, I like ones that other people don't. But this one was called Practical Magic, and it's with uh, Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock again. And they live in this gorgeous house. And it's supposed to be Nantucket, but, you know, I recognize that it's actually up in Seattle, but gorgeous nonetheless, out on these islands, and it was just, it was just a wonderful movie, these little girls are practicing witches, but they feel ostracized, and they kind of have to work through that, and, and, uh, but they do these little spells, and so I like the whole magical part, and I really like the scenery, and I like, it was a movie about women, and just, I don't know, the whole thing worked for me, and then the final one I really liked, and I, my ex loved it too, we would watch this movie over and over and over again, it was called Doc Hollywood, and it's with Michael J. Fox, and he gets trapped into this little town and kind of gets sucked into this little town, even though he were wishes, you know, or somewhere else. But you actually don't have to watch this movie because it's been remade into a movie called Cars. Anyway, that's it. Okay. Um, mine is, on Valentine's Day, I couldn't stop crying because I missed my recently deceased spouse. I prayed that God would give me something else to focus on. I went to the OA meeting to avoid staying alone. At the table, I tripped and fell, and four of my ribs were in the were misplaced from this moment. Or I don't know if she broke her ribs or he broke her ribs or what. 
Does this mean that HP gave me what I needed? Uh, this is a true tale. I'm going, now most of me is going, well, yeah, it got you out of yourself. But, I mean, this is funny. And <laughs> if you start to analyze this, here's a person who didn't want to be alone. So they trip and they hurt themselves. Now, you're going to, there's no way you can be alone because people are going to come over to help you. And if you're hurt bad enough, you have to go to the hospital. And there's going to be people to talk about. And then you're going to take your mind off it. So I don't know. <laughs> it sounds to me that God gave, him, gave her or him something better. That's all I know. <laughs> Can you think of any funny stories about your sponsor or sponsee? <laughs> about my sponsor? No. <laughs> About my sponsees, well, there are a couple things. Um, a few years ago, someone I sponsored was uh, one of the closing speakers at a convention, and I, right before she got up to speak, I walked up to her and bent over and very quietly whispered, you know, don't embarrass me. <laughs> and then she stood up in front of the closing session and broke my anonymity. And uh, ever since then, um, sort of have a tradition of, you know, when somebody I sponsor is about to speak, I just go up and say, no, don't embarrass me. And a couple people I sponsor just did that to me before I got up here, you know. So we, it's, a, it's a running thing. And, but what's funny is when people around us, you know, if there's somebody standing around who hears it happen, they go, oh, you know. Anyhow, the la uh, Evelyn and I were cracking up over this question about the sponsee because I was telling somebody that I sponsored that I was on this panel, and and I said uh, that Evelyn was going to be on the panel with me, and and this person knows Evelyn well, and uh, this person said to me, "Go before her; she's funnier." She is still alive, and I'm still sponsoring her because she really needs me. You know, if I had to come up with five movies, you know, they'd be Mystic Pizza, My Dinner with Andre, Hamburger Hill, <laughs> Eating Raul, or eating, Who's Eating Gilbert Grape? But... <laughs> Okay, um, now it's um, time for um, three-minute shares. Uh, please limit your share to three minutes and please stick to the topic. And if you come up here, be sure to sign the tape release form. So we can start. Anybody want to come up? <laughs> for those who didn't see it, our hero just tried to trip me. <laughs> This isn't good enough. Oh, he thinks it is. My name is Joe Smith Herrera. My husband died in October. And I cracked four ribs. 
And I really don't know if God gave me what I needed, or did I just go off and do something stupid to get what I wanted? I didn't blow my accident. Oh, God. I love humor. I'm so crazy. I love being in 12-step programs. Some people say you're not supposed to love being in 12-step programs. Those are people that don't understand them. They just sit and go, oh, that's a cult. You can't do that. And you kick back and you look at them and go, who's laughing now? You're arrested. I'm here. I like it like that. Arrested development, not in prison. Think how we were, arrested development. How old are we mentally? Most of us probably went to college. How old are we emotionally? I want my cookie. Now, who is it that said they didn't walk off with their purse? They walked off with a box of cookies? That's priceless. That's what the price was. I thought it had to be a chocolate cake. Now, when I have food dreams, I would say sex dreams since Jesse's dead, because I have those too. But unfortunately, I still have food dreams more. And it's really weird to wake up in bed chewing on a pillow because you think you're chewing an entire chocolate cake. But it happens. Has anybody here ever had food dreams? Good. Then you know you're abstinent. I had two people raise their hands, guys. That's, that's <laughs> You know you're abstinent when you have a food dream because it's that which you don't eat anymore. And your body's like, I want it. And your brain's going, nah, my sponsor will whip my ass if I did it. So it's, oh, okay, fine, I'll give you one of those dreams again. And that's what works for me. It keeps me abstinent. And it's a lot safer. I don't have to worry about what am I going to explain to my doctor about blowing my abstinence when it's just a pillow. You know? Um, or you think you're swimming in chocolate. Ciao. Hi, my name is Mike. I'm a compulsive reader. Hi. This, uh, this was great. We need to laugh at ourselves. Um, it's brought up a bunch of stuff um, from my memory banks, which is something to say because I don't really have much of a memory left. I just have flashbacks. Um, the first thing was the, uh, I, I remember this joke. Uh, it was a sponsor, sponsee thing. And, you know, it's the first brand new guy in the program and he did his fourth step and he's given it away to his sponsor. And, gets down to the sex part, and he's like, uh, you know, really hard for him to get this out, and he finally just says, well, I, uh, I had sex with a chicken, and his sponsor looked at him and says, was yours dead or alive? <laughs> hey, don't blame me, I just came from the, you know, relationship sexuality workshop. <laughs> oh, but, um, you know, it is a serious disease, but at the same time, it's good to laugh at ourselves and not take us, ourselves too seriously. I had a lot of back problems um, from a young age up until adulthood, and still now. I mean, I, my back still messes up with on me. And my chiropractor is really a good guy. And I remember I went into his uh, office one day, and he had a comic up there from BC, and it was the uh, the snake, and it was just this big round rock, and the snake just straight ahead with his eyes bulging out underneath it said, "Relax," you know. And I got to remi- remind myself about that. And then the other thing was the movies. Um, recently, I just saw Over the Hedge, and I don't know if anyone's seen that or not, but that's a movie about us. 
I think their whole thing through this movie was to find food. That's all they wanted to do. And they go through, do some crazy-ass stuff looking for the food. And there's like this uh, kind of a Pringles-type product. It's Spudettes or something like that. And it's like the prize, you know. It's like the uh, the chalice in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark or something. And uh, the tagline for that, for their advertising was, enough is never enough. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's me. That's me. Anyway, thanks. Good afternoon. My name is Ralph, and I compulsively eat foods that are not healthy for me at all. Howdy. And I'm also looking for a sponsor, at least someone to talk with, who has experience with veganism and raw foods. So if you know someone, if you could please let me know. And I am in total agreement that humor is one of the greatest things, especially as it relates to me and my difficulties and my deficiencies. And it reminds me of this couple. This couple celebrated their 60th birthday on the very same day. They're both 60 on the same day. And they're sitting around going, well, what, would you, what should we do on our 60th birthday? And, and the wife had actually been in the OA program for a long time, and she'd been doing pretty well, but evidently it wasn't quite satisfying to her husband because all of a sudden, poof, this genie appears. And the genie says, I will give each of you a wish, whatever you want. And he says to the wife, ma'am, what would you like? She says, I'd love a trip all the way around the world. And all expenses paid. And he goes, poof. So she's got all the plane tickets and all the hotel and, and money and everything. You know, great 60th birthday party. So then he says to the husband, he says, sir, what would you like for your 60th birthday? He goes, I want a wife that's 30 years younger than me. Poof. He was 90 years old. <laughs> I don't know if any of you, there is really a new 12-step program that perhaps not all of you know about. It's for people who talk a lot. Any of you know about that one? On and on and on and on and on and anonymous. Okay. And there's a new one that I want to start because it affects my life so deeply, and that's for people who don't exercise much. CPA. Do you know about that? Couch Potatoes Anonymous? I'm going to do that. And I've had difficulty in my life with alcohol, and I love to talk about alcohol in the past. At any rate, these two guys are sitting in a bar, and one of them says to the other one, Where are you from? Oh, I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Wow, no kidding. I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma, too. He says, What year was you born in? 1954. 1950. I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 1954. Ain't that something? Wait a minute. What month was you born in? February? Well, I'll be gully wumping catfish. I was born February 1954, too. That, wait a minute. What day was you born on? The 13th? I'll be day gum fangled now. I was born February 13, 1954, Tulsa, Oklahoma, too. Ain't that a kick in the boot? Third guy walks into the bar. He asks the bartender, what's going on over there? Oh, that's the Johnson twins. They're drunk again. <laughs> I'm Bob, a compulsive overeater, and uh, I uh, wanted to come here because I, I needed to laugh. Uh, 
This is such, such a fun program when you can laugh about yourself. I, I just got back from uh, Tahoe uh, to come, come here, and then I've got to go home tonight for something. And my wife and I celebrated our 47th wedding anniversary. And we got this, this thank you. We got this uh, this room up in Tahoe, across from uh, I can't even think of the name of the place, but it was across from Harris. On the 18th floor, this big luxury place, you know, and we stayed there, and we I mean I, I, I couldn't even believe what we were doing. Then we went and to some friend's house over in another place, another town, and they served us a meal, and uh, it was different. <laughs> they had salad for dessert, and uh, I I asked him. I said, "Well, what are we going to have for breakfast?" Just kidding around. He said. Boiled knot holes. That's a joke. That's, I mean, that happens. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ellie. I'm a gratefully recovering compulsive overeater and sugar addict. Um, I, I love this program. I always learn to laugh at myself when my husband and I of 30 years were getting a divorce. He's the one that stopped laughing. I could always find some humor in myself. And if I stopped laughing, I think it would kill me because I have to laugh. God laughs at me, so I laugh right along with him. I remember one time I was looking for my regular set of car keys. Couldn't find them. So I went to my alternate set, carried them around for like a month. Couldn't find I kept looking for my regular keys. And all of a sudden, one day... There they were, sitting in the middle of my dining room floor, out in the open. Okay, where did they come from? Okay, God, don't laugh at me now, please. Anyways, I like, I think on a lot of different levels. I, I ride the Evelator. I go to the zoo to look at the effluence. And when I'm thinking really hard, I'm constipating. And, um, and I like to think that, I, you know, I had a sarcastic sense of humor until somebody explained me what the word sarcasm meant the basic word I can't remember if it's Greek or Latin but the basic word sarcasm is sark and that means to flay the flesh and ever since I heard that that's what the definition of sarcasm was is to like flay the flesh so if you're being sarcastic at somebody it means you're being very hurtful and that made me rethink my sense of humor I go that's the last thing I ever want to do is to ever hurt anybody. I mean, I can make fun of myself because as my disease has progressed and I was in an accident a number of years ago, now I have very bad arthritic knees. Well, I walk funny. I don't need the cane to walk, which I just picked up a few months ago, but I picked it up because it's nice to have that third leg to help catch your balance. What's really neat is when you have that cane, people jump out of the way to help you. So I go, I mean, I'm going to walk funny whether I have the cane or not. But 
I'm going to let people jump out of their way to help me. And I just laughed with it. And my pastor at church kids me about calling me Gimp. So I pick up my cane and say, never make fun of an old lady with a cane. It's a good weapon. So, but he still does, and I still crack him every once in a while. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Hi, I'm Jeff, and today I'm a compulsive reader. Um, when I first came in, I say that because when I first came into the program, I was just fat. I had no thought of um, compulsive overeating. Um, the joke is, when I started away, I was morbidly obese, and now I'm just morbid. <laughs> yeah, that's not my joke, by the way. Can you guys hear me? Okay, it's funny, because I, I used to be secretary for a meeting, and w- when I would greet the um, speaker, the guest speaker, I'd always say, you know, it's so nice of you to share this meeting, especially considering this can be videotaped. And they always had this uncomfortable laugh, and it's like, now the tables have been turned, and I'm being recorded. All right, let's see. I've been in the program for two years, and when I first started, um, first started the program, my sponsor kept saying, don't quit before the miracle. Now, that's good advice, but I kept saying, how long, how long am I going to be pre-miracle? Come on. <laughs> first, year in, first year in OA, really good, lost 80 pounds. Then my second year, I kind of stopped working the tools, and I found a bunch of it again. But during that relapse, I learned that the binges end all binges. They never do. I've tried two or three binges a week. That didn't help. After every meal, I would ask myself, was that an abstinent meal? And if it wasn't, I'd sit right back down and have one that was. <laughs> anyway, seriously, today I'm doing great. I'm, I'm reading my notes here, by the way. Um, the, um, I'm down about 130 pounds from my highest weight, and that's really nice. The other day, I was looking in the mirror. The other, I still got some ways to go, but the other day I was, I was looking in the mirror, and I felt this lump in my side. And I was kind of concerned, but I realized it was just a rib. <laughs> this one, I wasn't sure about telling this joke, all right? Um, women, don't listen. Men, you'll probably think this is funny. Um, after losing 130 pounds... What's the hardest part about weighing in every day? Just keeping all this, keeping. Wow. Somebody's pointing to the ceiling. I'm not sure what that means. Okay, there's a sign that I shouldn't tell that joke. Keeping all the skin off the floor. Yeah. I'll tell you afterwards. All right. How long has it been? That time is up. I just want to say real quick, um, I used to laugh at myself all the time. Before, it was fake. It was kind of covering up the pain kind of laughter. Now, I'm a lot more somber and serious, but when I laugh, it's for real, and that feels so much better. So, thank you all for being here. Okay, um, well, well, no, the tape is still working. It's just, <laughs> it's time to close the session. Let's thank our speakers, everyone who shared, and all those who have just. Okay, please stand, uh, join hands in the closing um, I, meeting. I, yeah, away promises. Thank you.